Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. Tonight, we have as our guest, my friend, Andrew Booth from MedPro Group. Andrew, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Hey, Anthony. I'm glad to be here. Well, I understand that you are among the lucky few who have been doing a little bit of traveling during these crazy times. Tell us what's that, what that's been like. What it's been, what's it been like getting on a plane during a global pandemic? Yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've traveled twice, once for business, once personally. Uh, when I traveled for business, uh, it was uh, I traveled to, through Atlanta often, going to different places. Actually, my trip was to Atlanta uh, or to Georgia area. And if you know anything about Atlanta airport, it's just massive and packed. And so being at that airport and maybe, I don't know, uh, 10% of the people that are normally there flying through TSA pre-check in Atlanta was, was kind of weird. Being on the plane, I mean, other than wearing a mask was uh, was was pretty ordinary. They give you a little snack bag, you know, instead of, you know, picking your drinks. Yeah, so, they treat you a little yeah. better than they normally do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was good. And then uh, I traveled with my family uh, a couple of months ago and uh, we got caught up not only, uh, I mean, the COVID stuff was pretty straightforward, but we got caught up in the hurricane uh, in the Caribbean. So we had to go to uh, Puerto Rico for two hours and then uh, Florida. So it's, uh, it's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it's probably nice to have a little bit less traffic in the airport and in security and all those things. I mean, hopefully we get back to normal someday soon. But for now, it's not all bad. No, it, it wasn't. I, I remember driving through downtown Atlanta at you know driving through at seventy miles an hour. I, I don't think I've ever done that before, <laughs> and uh, so that was pretty nice. Yeah, there's always a silver lining. Right. Well, thanks for being here. Um, you've got a fascinating story, so I want to get right to it. And as you know, on this podcast, we talk about a few different things. We talk about your career path, and that's one of the things I'm especially interested in, given your background. We talk about your organization and then some of the challenging, interesting, frustrating, whatever whatever is on your mind in terms of projects that you're working on at these times when everyone needs a little empathy and to understand what others are going through. So we'll start with your career path. Obviously, everyone, you can tell by Andrew's accent that he is not a Northeast Indiana native. We've had some non-natives on the podcast. Brian Englehart, who's from the East Coast, and Scott Heiderman is from I believe he's from Minnesota originally. And Andrew wins the award for having traveled here from the furthest away. So tell us where you grew up and how you ended up in Northeast Indiana. Sure. Uh, well, so first of all, um, I got to tell you that my accent is really screwed up. When I'm in uh, Fort Wayne, Northeast Indiana, or the US, people think I have a British, sometimes Australian accent. When I'm in the UK, people think I have an American accent. So it is uh, totally messed up. <laughs> I, I grew up in uh, uh, the west part of Wales, which is uh, the western part of the United Kingdom. Uh, I lived in, uh, in Wales till I was uh, 18. When I was 18, I lived in London for a year. And then I started um, my degree in music at a conservatoire in the north of England. So I kind of started with, well, first of all, before going to university for music, I thought I was gonna be a teacher. Then I decided I didn't have the patience to be a teacher, so thankfully I figured that out before you know a twenty-year sure, uh, career. Sure. Uh, so I was studying uh, music in the in the UK. Came to visit Fort Wayne uh, to visit some friends. Um, essentially, the the short version of the story is I met a girl um, and fell in love. Told my parents that I was moving to Fort Wayne, Indiana. They had no really idea where that was. <laughs> I fit, uh, transferred my degree to Taylor University. They had a small campus here in Fort Wayne uh, that uh, no longer is in uh, in operation. So, uh, so I moved to F Fort Wayne when I was twenty, 
I'm 42 now, so I've lived here 22 years. So I've lived in Fort Wayne longer than I've lived in the the UK. This very much feels like home. My wife is uh, from Fort Wayne. She grew up whole, whole family, big family here, and so uh, Fort Wayne is. It, it's very different than the U, the UK. I mean, Wales is very mountainous. It's by yeah. the ocean. I've been trying to find mountains and <laughs> the oceans in Indiana since I got here and uh, haven't found any yet. Yeah. So so Wales being you know obviously much more bucolic and 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 rural than if you will than than London. I think when anyone speaks with an English accent, everyone always assumes they're from London. So what brought you to London and what was that experience like going from Wales to the big city? Well first of all, anytime someone uses words like bucolic, <laughs> they sound intelligent. Because I, I don't I'm not even sure I know what that means. But uh, so um, so when I was um, when I graduated from high school, before I went to university I decided to take uh, a year out. And I worked for a uh, not-for-profit uh, that uh, was based in southeast um, London, really reaching out to uh, kind of kids who um, uh, just who, who who were kind of struggling. Mm-hmm. The I, I'd never, I mean, Car- Cardiff, the city that I grew up in, was probably about the size of Fort Wayne. It was actually the fastest-growing city in Europe, but maybe, um, but but during that time, it was much much smaller. Going to London uh, was and living in London was an amazing experience. I think it's a bit like New York. When you go to visit New York, there is so much to do. There is so much going on. There is so much energy, and then you're exhausted. Yeah, L- living in London was a bit like that. Okay. It was a tremendous experience. Every Monday, I had uh, the day off, and I'd go up to what they call town, go up to London mm-hmm. town, and sometimes I would catch a, a quick, uh, like. Um, uh, we would call it Broadway show, but uh, but a London show like sure. Phantom of the Opera, or, yeah. and you could get really really cheap tickets last yeah. minute. So I'd get to see all these shows. I'd get to in- go to incredible museums and art galleries. So it was a it was a very cool very cool year. Yeah, but, a, but at the end of it, I was exhausted. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things that good you have the experience and good that you have a simpler life now probably. That's right. So so take us from this is what's fascinating about your story to me is is studying music. And we're always going to bridge, build a bridge to MedPro because MedPro is one of the most prestigious companies in the area. I don't want to steal too much of your thunder. I want to hear your description of MedPro. But it's a fascinating company. It's a large company. You're in a marketing role. You also have a learning and development role. But take us from how you got from music to all of that. Yeah, that is uh, – I asked myself that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I asked myself that uh, a fair amount. So I've always um, had a – kind of creative interest and a creative outlet primarily expressed itself through through music and i've also found uh, i've loved the kind of strategic kind of critical thinking mm-hmm. and it was something that just you know i grew up and i just found that it was something that came natural to me and i really enjoyed it so how i got to medpro was um i was running my own lead generation business for CPAs in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I was living in Fort Wayne, mm-hmm. but I was running um, a business for CPAs. And essentially what that meant was cold calling business owners in the UK and offering CPA services. Mm-hmm. What that really meant was getting up at about 4.15 in the morning, because this yeah. is the UK time sure. zone, Sure, going downstairs, pouring myself a strong cup of coffee, and getting on the phone yeah. and making uh, calls. I'd make about 120, 125 uh, phone calls a day. And when I started, I remember the first day, I can remember it like it was yesterday. The The person who was supposed to be training me was was out sick. So they the, the company gave me a list. They said, this is kind of what you, what you need to do. Good luck. 
So I make the first <laughs> the first call. I'm terrified. I've never done this yeah, before. Sure. And it's four thirty uh, in the morning. Yeah, it's I'm ter- terrible. I'm terrified and tired just hearing about it. Oh, it was just uh, it was crazy. Yeah. Funny story. The 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 first couple of calls, I I made the calls. The the decision maker wasn't there. I was kind of relieved because I didn't really want to have to speak to anybody. <laughs> the third person on my list this is a totally true story. Was a window cleaning company. The owner's name was Mr. Crapper. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I'm getting punked. Here. Yeah. This is, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I started doing it, uh, got a little bit better at it the, to, to kind of cut down uh, a long story. In the end, I made 100,000 phone calls wow. myself wow. and then started hiring people uh, sure. to work on my team, grew sure. a business. And so I really, I guess, learned marketing and sales almost by accident, mm-hmm. uh, really mm-hmm. from the ground up. I was meeting with uh, a friend of mine for lunch and he said, what do you do? And I essentially told him sure. what I just sure. uh, shared with you. And he says, well, I lead um, part of um, this organization's called MedPro's direct sales team. Would you come and do some sales training? Mm-hmm. I said, well, I, I don't know anything about insurance, yep. but, uh, but, I, uh, but I'd be glad to tell you what I know from you know, these many, many tens of thousands, hundred thousand uh, phone calls. I did a day's training. This was uh, about uh, 11 years ago. And uh, he said, do you want a job? I said, well, I got a job. He said, well, do you want to be a consultant? I said, well, how about a part-time consultant? Sure. So I was a, still running my own business in the, in the UK and then um, started working at MedPro. I was in a just kind of an entry-level market, marketing role, took on increasingly um, numbers of MedPro's divisions, different, dif- uh, different products. About uh, five years ago, I assumed the kind of VP of marketing position, and now I kind of do a few things uh, along the way. So I, I don't know. I kind of fell into it. Yeah. I fell into it, and uh, I'm very, very grateful um, for it. But if, but growing up, if someone had told me you're going to live in the U.S. and you're going to work for an insurance company, I'm not sure which I would have believed uh, <laughs> less. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so going back to your your move to Fort Wayne, because it's fascinating to hear other stories from transplants. Myself having moved here, uh, I'm the same way that I've now lived in Indiana longer than I lived in Massachusetts, more than half my life. So right. this is now more home than than home is. What were your first impressions of Indiana? Your honest take on the Hoosier State when you first landed here? Well, I arrived the first time and the, I was on a little puddle jumper between Chicago and Fort Wayne and it was in the summer and there were massive storms. Mm-hmm. So I first arrived at Fort Wayne at 3 a.m. in the morning and the, there was no one there to pick me up. And I called my friend who was deep asleep at the time and say, hey, it's, it's, it's Andrew, I'm here. He's like, who is this? So my first experience of Fort Wayne was, uh, was a little strange. I, um, I immediately noticed how flat, flat it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yeah. was just in terms of the, the geography. What quickly uh, became clear to me uh, that the people here are just uh, awesome yeah. um, and uh, incredibly friendly. I was also struck by how much um, the entrepreneurial uh, spirit of America Mm-hmm. Uh, that I hadn't experienced before. And there's, you know, I became a citizen uh, a year ago, so this will be my first election to vote in, which is, um, which is cool. But I was very struck about, um, we talk about um, America being the land of opportunity, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and I, really, uh, I, really, I really sense that. I, I was also, you know, noticed the, the size of the cuisine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> food, there was a lot of food. Yeah. Yeah, um, especially in the Midwest. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, there was there was yeah. there was lots of restaurants. <laughs> and then you know when I first came to Fort Wayne, so I think twenty years ago, 
I couldn't believe that on the weekends nobody was in uh, downtown. Yeah, you'd yeah. go down on the weekend. I mean, there wasn't really restaurants. It was like a yeah. ghost town. Yeah, for, you compare for sure. that to today, and uh, that's pretty cool. It's a whole different world. Yeah, I've the the building where we're doing the show in is Asher's Fort Wayne office. And I started working here 16 years ago, and I tell our new employees, our younger employees when they start, that my lunch options were, I think it was Loaf and Ladle, uh, Double Dragon, which is still open, Coney Island, and Dash Inn, and that was about it. And now there's, you know, more places than you can hit in a month downtown. So it's changed quite a bit. Um, Well, well, let's talk about this organization called MedPro. You know, uh, I've had the opportunity to work with you, so I know some things about it. But to a lot of people, it's a mystery because your client base isn't here. So tell us a little bit about what MedPro is, what MedPro does, and, and what your experience has been during the time you've worked there. Sure. So, uh, well, let me start with uh, with MedPro. So, MedPro is um, the nation's largest healthcare liability company. So that means we provide um, liability insurance. Sometimes it's called MedMal insurance to um, healthcare providers. That can be everything from the largest hospital systems in the country to an individual nurse practitioner or, or a chiropractor and everything in between. We have about three hundred thousand uh, customers. We have nearly $2 billion of annual premium, and we're based here in Fort Wayne. In fact, we're the oldest company in our industry. So MedPro was founded in 1899, um, and so we've, um, we have a 120-year heritage. And it's pretty cool that MedMal was founded in Fort sure. Wayne. It's uh, well, amazing, well, really. And Fort Wayne now has a pretty good toehold in the insurance industry. Different types of companies Very headquartered much so. here. Very much so. I don't know if that's accidental or if that is just like attracting like, but it seems like one of Northeast Indiana's strong suits now. Yeah, specialty insurance. And I uh, serve on a couple of uh, uh, kind of partnership, uh, collabor- yeah. collaborative thing. And that is, uh, that is, that is pretty cool. So... So MedPro, we, as you rightly say, most of our customers aren't, aren't ba- based here. We've got customers all over the U.S. We have customers in, uh, in Europe. And, and so we, we have this big white building that's on the corner of Reed and, uh, and uh, St. Joe Center. And, you know, when I first came to MedPro, we didn't have a sign on our building. So people would drive past this kind of huge campus and they weren't sure whether we were the FBI, a nursing home, the mafia. Yeah. Uh, it well, was, it's it's not, I don't know if strange is the right word, but it's definitely an interesting building. It's yeah. got a circular type of campus yep. and, you know, these buildings that are curved. Right. So it, it kind of has this mysterious feel to it. Yeah. So one of the things that we decided that maybe we should put a sign on our building <laughs> so at least people know. Um, it's a pretty good who, marketing move. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty revolutionary, yeah, right? Yeah. Put a sign on a building. Yeah. So we have about 1,100 employees. Mm-hmm. We have about 500 or so in, in Fort Wayne uh, and then other folks that are all over uh, the country and then uh, a few people in the UK. Yeah. So, so your role, Andrew, is really a dual role. You have a marketing role and a, a training and development role. Talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about how you balance those, those roles and, and what teams you have working for you to help you in, in getting that done. Yeah. So my primary uh, job is uh, is the marketing leader. Mm-hmm. So that means I'm responsible for our marketing to our 18 different divisions, which uh, think about different uh, kind of customer types. Sure. Um, I'm also responsible for, our, I guess, our overall branding and uh, PR type activities. I mean, just typical kind of marketing activities as you were. I also oversee our learning and development, 
we didn't really have any learning and development um, employees. And uh, my boss, who's our CEO, said, listen, uh, you know, I uh, want you to, to, to do that. So I, I do that too. And that's, that's fun and interesting. We hired, um, I think, a couple hundred people last year. We've hired over 100 people this year, which is amazing, really, considering uh, sure. all that's going on with COVID-19. Sure, sure. So I, um, so I lead that. And that's everything from initial training to job-specific training to leadership training, which you've helped us with, and, uh, and everything kind of in between. Sure. So you're making, in many cases, a uh, first impression on new employees and helping introduce them to the culture. That's obviously an important thing. What do you think is, is most critical in bringing people on board and making sure they're productive and, and ready to go from day one? Yeah, I think when anybody starts a new job, you can feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know, maybe you don't know the industry, maybe you uh, don't know the lingo, the acronym, acro- uh, acronyms, the systems, yep. processes, sure. the people. Yeah. What we want to try and do is help people really understand who MedPro is, why we do what we do, uh, but most importantly, that they understand where they fit. Mm-hmm where their contributions can make a difference. So uh, so we, we do that over three or four uh, sessions across the first three or four months. Sure. Well, and MedPro is part of a larger organization that has a very famous name. So you can talk a little bit about that because that's been one of the things I think that MedPro, when it's well understood in, in Northeast Indiana, it's known as having some friends in Omaha, if you will. Yeah, you could say it that way. So MedPro uh, is owned by Berkshire Hathaway. We're part of the Berkshire Hathaway family. It really is, um, I, I think it's the best owner in the world. And th- th- there's a few reasons for that. Um, and I think that's true for our customers, but I also think that's true for our employees. The, the Berkshire model, when you try and distill it down to the essence, is run your business like it's your family-only asset for a century. Mm-hmm. Do, everything for, do everything with complete integrity. Mm-hmm. Take care of your customer, mm-hmm. and and then Berkshire says, if you need anything, let us know. Mm-hmm. There's an incredible amount of empowerment mm-hmm. and autonomy, uh, very very little um, bureaucracy, um, and that just gives us incredible stability um, with the financial strength of uh, Berkshire Hathaway, the long term thinking, and really gives us a massive canvas to really grow. Um, our business in the way that we think mo- makes uh, most sense with uh, the support of, of Berkshire. And for our employees, it means they're part of an incredibly uh, stable company. And we try and run our businesses, our, our divisions within our business, with that same degree of empowering and autonomy um, and accountability that Berkshire gives to us. And I think it's been part of the secret to our success. Sure. And, and when you think about people in you know the public eye in terms of the business world, I, I honestly can't think of someone with a better reputation than Warren Buffett. I mean, someone who is respected pretty much universally, who when it comes to integrity has it you know beyond measure. So that's a nice thing to be tied to for sure. It, it's, it's really, it's really awesome. And he is, uh, he, He's, I, I mean, if I could have the same, if I could have half of his energy and intelligence and discernment and wisdom uh, when I'm in my late 80s that he that he does, I'd be uh, I'd be pretty happy about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a great thing for Northeast Indiana to have that tie as well. I mean, MedPro has has grown quite a bit, if I'm not mistaken. Tell us a little bit about the growth. You mentioned the hundred new employees this year, but it goes beyond that. MedPro's been growing for a while. Yeah, so when I joined MedPro a decade ago, I think we had about 400 employees. We have um, somewhere between 11 and 1,200 uh, right now. That growth has been primarily driven by organic business growth. Mm-hmm. We've had um, a couple of acquisitions along the way, 
And really what we've tried to do is expand our offerings across the continuum of healthcare. So we used to, for 100 years, we wrote uh, physicians and surgeons and dentists. Mm -hmm. Well, now we, um, we provide um, insurance offerings to hospitals and senior care facilities and ambulatory surgery uh, centers and um, chiropractors and uh, podiatrists and kind of everything in between. So that's really, the growth has been kind of across the continuum of healthcare, just some acquisition uh, growth a little bit, and then obviously just organic growth within those um, more traditional businesses as well. Yeah, well, in, in a year when most businesses are contracting, it's great to hear of a company that's growing and doing well. That's great. Yeah, it, uh, it's, I, I don't take it for granted uh, because it, it, I mean, we're, go, we're going through very, very strange times, and I, I feel for lots and lots of businesses who, um, you know, I, I mean, I think about the businesses we, you know, typically we would have done hundreds of events uh, trade shows mm-hmm. and conferences. Well, yeah. we're, we're not doing any of those. Sure. I think about those those businesses and those organizations that you know those events really provide a lot of income. I think about you know the the airline industry and the hotel industry. Sure. And, um, you know, insurance is is a is generally a pretty stable industry, even though it can have mm-hmm. peaks and troughs. Sure. Um, but it's been um, it 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 has been um, good for. I mean. I mean, we have 1,100 employees. We had about 20% who worked from home mm-hmm. teleworking prior to this. We had to move everybody, yeah. back, uh, everyone in two days. And thankfully, um, our systems and our processes and our technology, but most important, our people sure. held up pretty sure. well. Sure. So so what about your customers? And obviously, you know, there's, there's only so much you can say, but a, a lot of people, when they think about the impact of coronavirus, they think, oh, it's a boom for healthcare and the bottom line. And, and I don't think that's really the case. It's been very much a mixed bag for healthcare providers, especially hospitals. Um, what have you experienced in terms of how this is affecting the healthcare community at large? You said it well, it, it, it's all over the map. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have a dentist office that uh, shut down for for months mm-hmm. had no revenue, or maybe yeah. they went part time. You might have had hospitals that their emergency room might have been overwhelmed, but elective surgeries kind of shut down. Yeah. Their hospitals were were largely empty. Yeah, and so and they, I think they don't make a lot of money off the ER. Yeah. No, I don't think yeah. so. And I think it was almost a misnomer that hospitals were mm-hmm. just bursting at the yeah. seams. I think there were some emergency rooms that that were. But largely, um, healthcare really struggled, mm-hmm. and we we saw a growth in telemedicine. Yep. Where instead of you know going to sure. the hospital, you get on your smartphone yeah. and you see your you see your doc, and I think that's going to accelerate mm-hmm. the the transition of the delivery of care in some way. Just like you know we're doing far more virtual meetings sure. and webexes and sure. zooms and it's likely that you know it'll never go back to quite the same way i think the delivery of care will will be like that as well yeah there was a quote that i heard that that anything that was on the cusp of going digital has now gone digital and will stay digital and and right. virtual and remote factor into that so whole different world for training and development in many respects a whole different world for us as marketers because we're having to reach consumers in a different way reach our you know the stakeholders we serve in a in a very different way yeah very much so i mean when i think about our learning and development efforts i mean i feel for our new employees who you're joining a brand new organization you're working yeah. from home you got to figure out how you turn your laptop on and you get in but also yeah. how do i do my job and how do i listen to other people and you know we think that uh we will have far more flexibility where if we can balance the kind of individual work style mm-hmm. the needs of the uh the customer um and also maintaining culture mm-hmm 
that gives more flexibility to our employees. If we can do those three things, um, I think we'll be in, in, in good shape. Well, and it's really a competitive edge from a talent acquisition standpoint because people are getting used to having more flexibility. I mean, I, I've always said that the one thing I think that's good, a good outcome out of all this, while there's a lot of bad things about it, one of the good outcomes is I think everyone has been forced to acknowledge that their coworkers, their employees, however you want to put it, has a life outside of work. You know, you can't watch someone's kids run across in the background of a Zoom call and forget that that person is also right. a parent. Right. You know, and, and I think that's a good thing. We obviously still have to be productive. We still have to do our jobs. But the job doesn't necessarily always need to get done under the same constraints that it used to, that we used to have. I think that's right. And there's been some actually some surprising benefits to communication. So if I take my team, um, about 50% of my team live and work out of the Fort Wayne office. About 50% of the team, or maybe a little bit less than that, are in different places around the, con- uh, the country. Pre-COVID, we would have had a, me- a whole team meeting and the people in Fort Wayne would have sat around mm-hmm. a conference room. There wouldn't have been any video. Yep. The, um, the, the phone would have been on. The people who were remote couldn't see what was going on. They couldn't read body language. Maybe if there, you know, uh, maybe the phone got put on mute and someone would have a side comment and, yep. and say, all of that is now gone. Yeah, the and disadvantage of being remote is no longer absolutely. Really there. It's yeah. leveled the playing field. Yeah, for sure. Now everyone's a box in yeah. a uh, in yeah. a Hollywood square. And in web, we use WebEx, but Zoom sure. or, or sure. Microsoft Teams, and it's just far uh, easier to see everybody's faces. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Um, it's a far more level playing field, and I think that's been a good thing. Yeah, and, and you know, as far as positive outcomes, there, there's a client that we're working with at Asher. I, I won't name the, name the client, but we're doing research, and we ended up having to do virtual focus groups, which I was mm. I was reluctant to do because I was just used to face to face, and it's yielded such better information. So, you know, we all hate change, we all hate the the turmoil we're going through, but some of the outcomes are good and things we can learn from and improve going forward. Yeah, it, it's um, on a personal on a personal note. I'm I can be a little bit distracted, and I can be you know having a conversation and kind of looking around, and I'm still thinking, I'm engaging, but maybe my body language says, and so I've had to force myself to to focus, and uh, and so at the end of like what do they call it, Zoom fatigue or yeah. Webex fatigue, at the end of a you know an eight nine hour day and with yeah. 12, 14 meetings, I, I I'm tired, but I feel like. Um, my attention has been more focused on the meetings than maybe before. And I probably needed the discipline. Yeah, you and me both. Anyone who knows Andrew and I who's listening to this is probably amazed that you and I are able to focus on one thing at a time. Right. <laughs> but it's, it, is, right. it is something I think we're learning how to do in, a, in an environment where you're sort of tethered to your screen and you don't have the flexibility to roam as much. Um, and there's some good outcomes of that too. Well, let's talk with, with all that change in mind and all the things that we're adapting to. Let's talk about some of the projects you're working on. When, when, I, ta- when I speak of things that that are challenging, things that are interesting, big ideas, big projects you're working on in today's environment. And feel free to talk, you know, from a marketing perspective or a learning and development perspective. What are some of the things that are taking up the majority of your time that you're most excited about, that are most frustrating, most interesting, however it is you want to put that? Well, that uh, that's a great question. And I don't know that I have one uh, very... Um, uh, clean, crisp answer. Sure. One of the things I love about my job is the incredible variety mm-hmm. that, uh, yep. that that we have. So we might be uh, thinking about how do we communicate to a dent- dental student via Instagram, and another time we're talking about how do we communicate to a large hospital system. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we communicate 
to a physician group in Miami or thinking about how do we talk to a podiatrist in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that, that, that is, uh, I, I love, really, really love the variety of that um, yeah. in the marketing um, sense. We're growing our business um, internationally. That's got complexities around uh, mm-hmm. branding and how do we think uh, about that. And sure. so that, uh, that's interesting. We're also just like everybody thinking about how do we provide, um, you know, a digital experience for insurance. I mean, if you think about insurance, it's uh, it, I, I, when, I, when I try to, to uh, tell people a bit about what we do, I'm trying to gain some empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. What I tell people is I work in insurance. No one cares about insurance. Mm-hmm. It's highly regulated. Yeah. No one wants to talk about MedMal um, sure. insurance. We've got um, all these different divisions, competitors, you know, and so I, I'm trying to hope pe- people feel Wow, what a what a terribly hard job you must have, and Andrew, I feel so bad for you. Apparently, <laughs> it doesn't seem to work that way, but uh, yeah. But I love the challenge yeah. of decommoditizing sure. something like insurance and making it seem real. Yeah, well, one of the things that that I've had the opportunity to hear you speak about in the past is is how you frame that so that your employees understand, and many of them understand it, you know, innately. But for those who need a little help, how you put that into perspective, how you talk about what MedPro really does, the why for MedPro. How do you explain that? Yeah, I mean, this concept of understanding a why is um, is something that I, I learned from a, a, a very famous TED talk by Simon Sinek called Start With Why, yep. and it talks about the three circles, uh, what you do, how you do it, and why you do it. When you think about insurance and when we think about what we do, ultimately we exist to serve our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Every business really has to, sure. to do that. But... Really, our mission is to help our customers fulfill theirs. Mm-hmm. Insurance is a vehicle that allows business to happen. If sure. there wasn't insurance, um, business and life in America would uh, would just shut down. Sure. So part of our um, our mission, part of our why, is that we say that those who are providing care, mm-hmm. those who are serving. Um, other people shouldn't have to worry whether they themselves are protected. And when it comes to you know to healthcare liability insurance, there are times when there are mistakes sure. where um, a provider makes a mistake and a patient should be indemnified. Sure, and that's what insurance does. Yeah, there are other times when there could be a less than optimal outcome, but the provider uh, totally f- uh, followed the standard sure. of care. And it's in those instances that we want to uh, defend that provider's reputation, their assets, the way that they provided their care. Sure. And so uh, I find that personally uh, very satisfying. And I love that MedPro is in the inter- intersection of two massive industries, insurance and healthcare. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so if we can do our small part to help the delivery of care, to help uh, care be delivered delivered even more safely, sure. and we can help our organizations, whether a dental practice, a podiatrist, chiropractor, a large hospital system, fulfill their mission, um, then I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's something all of us want. We want our healthcare providers to be focused on us, and we want them to sleep well at night and not be worried about the business end of things, at least not to any great extent. So that's a, that's a great service that people might not immediately think of when they think of MedMal Insurance. So, so what are some of the other things that are on your mind as far as big projects, things you're working on, things you're grappling with? And, and one of the goals here is for other folks, other professionals, marketers, and others, just, just to get some perspective of what other folks are working on these days. Yeah, so as it relates to, um, well, we're in the, in the middle of a massive IT transformation mm-hmm. project. 
multi-year project where we're changing all of our systems, many of our processes, and um, and our front-facing uh, kind of uh, branding. Yeah. That uh, that that's a big project. Yeah. And, uh, Sounds it's like super it. fun. We're yeah. also uh, in the process of. Uh, launching um, a tool called Salesforce Marketing Cloud, mm-hmm. which is going to enable us to automate uh, uh, prospect and customer journeys. Sure, that's exciting because uh, we get to think about customer journeys and the sure. various ways to touch people. Sure. So, had you been using a, a, a CRM, another CRM in the past, and you're moving to a different CRM, or is this brand new for MedPro? Yeah, we've been using a homegrown uh, CRM system called Centric. Sure, uh, no one probably would know that, and and it, it and it was pretty uh, pretty clunky. Yeah. pretty old. I mean, a CRM is only as good as the data that's entered into sure, it. But sure. if you can have a great tool like something like Salesforce, it really does help. Yeah, well, a lot of it is just about mo- removing friction for the user so your people actually feel like it's easy to use, it's helpful to them on the, you know, on the on the end uh, on the end of the equation when they're talking to customers. If yeah. there is any friction, they're just not going to use it. They're yeah. going to find an end around and people are smart, they'll find all kinds of ends around if if you push them to that. Yeah. And and I would say going back to kind of this idea of automating the the customer journey, ease of use is becoming a key part of the value proposition for all manner of things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, whether it's uh, whether it's Amazon or or your iPhone, and now if it's not as easy as that, easy as that, people are saying, I'm not comparing you to your competitors in your insurance space. I'm comparing you to my shopping cart when I when exactly. I check out on Amazon, and that's raised the bar on yeah. the customer experience uh, in a way that um, will never go back. And it's a good thing, but it's very very challenging for every company. Oh sure, it's one of those things that that we as consumers love, and as marketers, it drives us nuts because the bar keeps going up, and we have to adapt. Which is, you know, ultimately it's a net good for everyone, but it makes it very very challenging along the way. Yeah, Amazon has this uh, concept of obsessive client focus, mm-hmm. um, doing or obsessive customer focus. Jeff Bezos talks about it all the time. The customer is, uh, how does he say, it? is wonderfully, frustratingly right. Yeah. And we're going to have to figure that out. And that's uh, that's part of what we're doing. And, you know, we've been doing this for 120 years. So in, in, an insurance can be a bit slower than other industries to innovate. Sure. So how do we kind of extend our lead, but stay humble and uh, become nimble, be entrepreneurial. Yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, an, that's an interesting, exciting challenge. Sure, sure. And you're dealing with it from two different perspectives on the training side and then the marketing side. Yeah, and on the learning and development of the training side, you know, I, I hate box checking. Mm-hmm. I hate compliance training. I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that, but <laughs> it's just yeah. training that doesn't uh, make a difference. Sure. It doesn't move you forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just... So we've really grappled with how do we make our training lightweight, mm-hmm. um, short, um, short bite-sized pieces, sure. just-in-time training is a yeah. concept that just when you need it, it's, it's right there. Sure. I don't know that we have it all figured out yet, uh, but we're on that journey. Yeah, I don't know that many people have it all figured out. So just the fact you're thinking about it probably puts you at least a little ahead of the game. Yeah, so that's no. good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as far as projects or, or things that are uh, that are you're working on currently, anything else come to mind as especially noteworthy? Well, um, part of my responsibilities, in addition to uh, being the marketing leader and the uh, the the learning and development leader. I also have uh, serve on what we call a team committee, which is a few people who are responsible for all employee-related things. Mm-hmm. Figuring out where work gets done, how work gets done for our 1,200 employees has been something that um, I've had to give a lot of time and attention to 
over the last um, few months, as, uh, as we spoke about a few minutes ago. That is uh, that is both challenging and um, and exciting. Is the goal there to surface best practices that can be replicated throughout the organization? What's the end goal of, of looking at the that those work styles? Yeah, it's very much so. I mean, wh- one of the things that we're fortunate is that we have metrics so we can look at productivity and mm-hmm. we can say, do people really... Uh, are they productive when they are sure. working from home? Sure. The good news is that the answer has largely been yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's uh, pretty cool. We've also been trying to foster best practices around uh, team communication and morale. I mean, I, I have uh, great concern for our nation as a whole, the, the world as a whole, in terms of weariness mm-hmm. that's come from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. I think that as we head into the winter, and who knows how things are going to go, but I, I really have some concern about that. I have concern about that related to the MedPro team. What can we really do to, you know, to, to help an employee that might be silently suffering at home? They've oh, sure. got their kids at home and they're trying to balance additional responsibilities in, in terms of a demanding job. And that's been something that we've been trying to figure out. Sure. Well, it's, you know, just a human need to have that interaction. Right. And I think we needed that reminder with everything going digital. Sometimes we can push it too far for sure. Well, Andrew, to, to wrap things up, we do three quick hit questions that are reflective of the questions we've already asked. All but right. this is the speed round of the show, if you will. So um, I'll give you a chance to, to absorb this a little bit. I'd like to hear one piece of advice for someone who is starting a career or retraining for a new career? What's the best thing someone can do to position themselves for success? Second thing that we'll talk about quickly is if you had just you know a few minutes to explain MedPro to someone, what would you say? And then the third piece of advice is if you were talking to a peer, someone, whether they worked in your industry or another industry, and they, they just needed some optimism, they needed to hear something about you know, something positive about today's environment, what would you say? So let's start with the first one. You obviously have had a fascinating career. You've done a lot of different things, everything from, you know, and it sounds like people just kind of leave you in the lurch. You arrive in Fort Wayne and people are saying, who's this guy? Right. You arrive, you know, at a new employer yeah. and you're on your own with a stack of... It's a terribly sad, sad story, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that aside, what um, what's your best piece of advice for people as they look to start a career or to retrain for a new one? So one of the things that I get to do, uh, that's one of the favorite parts of a job is I get to interview people right when they get to the last stage of uh, the interview process. So I, I probably interviewed 150 people uh, this year. It means I get to meet a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I also get to um, intersect with them when they're at that uh, point in time. And sure. I often get an- asked that very specific question. Yeah. I think it's a, I'm not sure there's one piece of advice, but there's a few uh, things. First is just do the blocking and tackling. Mm-hmm. I mean, just you got to show up on time. You got to be, you know, got to be a good, uh, got to be a good teammate. You got to do the job. Sure. I think beyond that, the people that, in my mind, really succeed are the people who can, who are curious and who can figure out what the right questions are to ask. Mm-hmm. If you figure out what the right questions are to ask in any problem, you're more than halfway there to solving, uh, to solving it. I think um, networking and being around other people and, again, asking them questions. Um, and uh, so, so, you know, blocking and tackling, be curious, figure out how to ask good questions, and I think uh, those, those things help. Yeah, I love the comment about asking good questions. When I was younger, I thought, you know, being successful meant you had to have all the answers. And, you know, you and I both share a passion for training and development. And one of the things I've learned as a trainer is you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have a unique perspective because you're never going to say everything about a given topic, right. but you have to bring a unique perspective that hopefully engages people 
gets them thinking. But, you know, one of the things that I believe is a good trainer helps people ask better questions, not necessarily have all the right answers. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Okay. So the second question, MedPro, somebody stops you on the street and you want to do a good job of describing what MedPro is all about. You have a couple minutes. What would you say? Yeah. MedPro is uh, the nation's uh, largest healthcare liability insurance, part of the Berkshire Hathaway family, uh, been around since 1899, Um, a commitment to delivering for our stakeholders um, uh, and uh, making a difference with uh, with for our employees. Great, you've already done that one. You've obviously done that one before, so good job. Yeah. <laughs> and then the third one, you know, thinking about today's environment and and offering a little bit of optimism, a little bit of perspective to other professionals who are trying to navigate their way through all this stuff. What's your best piece of advice for someone? Could be a marketer, could be someone else, in in how to keep going forward with some positivity. I'll, I'll try and answer this as quick as I can, but I, I'll tell you a story to answer the question. A number of years ago, I was sailing on a boat with a friend of mine. He had this uh, awesome boat. We were on the south coast of England. And um, we, we go out on the boat, and we've been out about half an hour, and he says, okay, I'm going to go uh, cook, cook breakfast for you and me. He says, you're in charge. Well, I'd, I've only been on this boat for half an hour. I don't even know how to uh, Once again, uh, how to sail. Left, left exactly, in the lurch. Left yeah. in the lurch. I know. <laughs> it should be a country song. So um, he said, I want you to point the boat at that uh, church spire. Just just point at that. And if you see a massive boat, yell. That was it. That was his instructions. Okay. Uh, I did it. And there was almost no wind at all. And it was incredibly hard to keep this mm. boat pointed in the, the right direction. He shows up half an hour later, we have lunch, we have a great day, and we turn around and come home. In the afternoon, the wind, wind picked up, and he said, I want you, uh, you know, you, you, you drive the boat. So I've got this uh, massive, uh, it's not steering wheel, what do you call it on a boat? <laughs> uh, let's call it a steering wheel. For, All right, for steering wheel, term. it's not. People are listening, they're going to be like, no, it's not a steering wheel. Anyway, and he said, I want you to take your little finger, put it on top of this uh, wheel, and you can control it with your little finger. The wind behind made that so easy. And it was so uh, notable, the difference between gripping this uh, wheel uh, when there was no wind and then holding it with my little pinky and going exactly in the direction I wanted to go Mm. much quicker. I tell you that story to say that there have been times in my life and career where it just didn't, things didn't seem to be going well and everything Mm -hmm. you try to do didn't quite work. Mm There's been other times, maybe not quite so often, where you could just control things with your little pinky and everything just fell into place. Mm-hmm. I say that to say that um, when things are going poorly, generally a leader is not as bad as they look. And when things are going well, they're generally not as good as, uh, as things uh, look. So my encouragement would be to, uh, to colleagues, uh, to peers, if it's tough right now, you know, hang in there uh, because the wind can turn and it will get easier. Do the things that you know are important. Do the fundamentals well. Um, and uh, and I found that over, you know, a few decades of working, uh, things kind of uh, work out. Yeah, well, that's great advice. And, and from someone who, who knows something about change and, and some some adversity, having moved here from the UK, and congratulations, by the way, on becoming a U.S. citizen. Yeah, Time to vote. That's great. Yep. Andrew is also a triathlete and has given me some advice on that score. So I now that I've mentioned that, I'm committed to doing one in 2021. Good, so. Yeah, good for you. I'm a, I, I'm a 
I'm a triathlete from a few years ago, so <laughs> I'm committed to do one in 2021 uh, as well. All right, great. Well, we'll make that happen together. Sounds good. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Asher Marketing Pod- Podcast. We will be back next week, and we hope to see you then. Thanks. Thanks.